Hello and welcome back to another episode of Control Alt Delete. My guest today is the wonderful Kylie Reed. She is a writer. She earned her MFA from the Iowa Writers Workshop where she won a fellowship award and she has taught many a creative writing workshop for undergraduates with a focus on race and class. Kylie has written a number of novels and short stories, but her most recent novel, Such a Fun Age, it's called, is a huge book for 2020. It's a story about two women, Amira and Alex. Amira is a young black babysitter currently juggling two jobs to pay the rent. And Alex is a wealthy white woman. She's a blogger and social media celebrity who on the surface seems like everything's fine, but underneath has a lot of doubts and insecurities. It's a seriously fantastic book and it talks so well about race and the messy dynamics of privilege. It's had so much attention already and if I haven't tempted you already to hit that order button, then uh, here's some of the press and accolades it's had already. Reese Witherspoon has picked it as a book club pick for January 2020. It's been in a Sunday Times one to watch, a stylist best book, a New York Times book to watch and a Vogue best book of the winter please go and buy this book. It really is so fantastic and gripping and you will read it super quickly. If you enjoyed this episode and conversation between us, then please do go and leave a rating or a review on iTunes. It really helps boost the podcast and spread the word to other people. So without uh, further ado, here is the episode. It's going to be the book of 2020 and I know that hearing that is probably freaking you out, but... How are you finding all this build-up and excitement? Oh, man. I, it's so flattering and just charming that people are getting so into the story, which is, you know, it's not a Da Vinci Code type of level epic. It's about a woman and her babysitter. And so I love that people are getting attached to the story. Yeah, I was just saying it's my favorite type of book, a character study, something that goes really deep into a family and characters and their backstory. And I think someone once upon a time called it like slice of life or something mm-hmm. when you like take off a bit and you go deep in yes do you enjoy books like that in general? oh my gosh that is my favorite I love when nothing good is happening but nothing bad is happening and it's this very petty almost domestic drama that is a symbol of much much bigger problems yes and it's the problems that you cannot avoid no matter how many friends of color you have or how many books you read or how many of the TV you watch. Um, I love it when history makes its way back into everyday life in these very tiny ways. Yes, it really speaks volumes of the wider world in such a kind of granular, like microcosm way. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get into the book in, in a bit and, I'm, and I've am and i promised myself not to do any spoilers because okay. it's a really, and I'm sure you don't want me to either, yes, but it's just, it's just such a, um, it's such a fun read, but also when you get to the middle, you are literally like don't have any plans basically because you, you just, you get, it gets really kind of racy. It does. It does. Um, I will say the middle scene took me maybe six weeks to write. I love that page tourney can't, oh, let's do one more chapter and then I'll go to bed feeling. Yeah. And so I wanted to combine like hard issues with that bingeability feeling. Yeah, definitely, definitely has yeah. that. So just back to the very beginning, because obviously I know that I love your book, but I, I know very little about you and your kind of way into writing. Yeah. And I know that you are a very skilled writer. You've done many different... You've done an, like, an MA, am I correct? I did an MFA, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And I know that you obviously have worked 
bloody hard to get this novel out there. So I just wondered how how have you kind of got to this point yeah. in, a, in a nutshell? I know that's a lot to cover, but... Oh, no, of course. I think a lot of writers, I definitely remember filling up notebooks since they were little, and I'm definitely on that path. I've been obsessed with storytelling since I was little, and I thought the path that I wanted to go down was acting. And so I went and got my undergraduate degree in acting and really thought that that was the road for me. Really? But I loved writing, and I would write my monologues all the time and just tell a little fib and say I got them from plays and whatnot. No way. Uh, I, I just loved it, and I found myself wanting to write more than I did anything else. And so I think I was 23 when I booked a commercial, and I thought, oh, my gosh, this is it. This is my big break. And I hated it. I hated being on that side of the camera, and that's when I started taking writing classes, and it just felt like a better fit. But you can't just say, oh, I'm a writer now and just be a writer. So there were definitely a lot of jobs, copywriting, I was babysitting and nannying at that time. I became a receptionist, and I stayed there for three years until I said, okay, I want to apply to mm-hmm. graduate school. Um, the first round was nine rejections. That was very difficult. Mm-hmm. And the second time was nine acceptances. And wow. so it's rough. You were always remember exactly where you are when you got those rejections. But I got into graduate school the second time around, and that's where this novel took off a bit more. Right. Um, I took a a novel workshop with Paul Harding, and that was a huge game changer. And so worked on it the whole first year, sold it in between the first and second year, and the second year was spent editing it. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of... um... A lot of work and a lot of graft, isn't it? I think people sometimes feel like a book is just magically written. Oh, God, no. And pops out of the ground. No, no. I remember two very specific places and instances where I tried to write out what I was trying to do with the plot, and I thought, this will not work. Mm. It took so much patience from my family, my friends, for myself to get it off the ground, and so I'm very glad that Mm. it's a thing now. Oh, well, I, I love the story, and... I love the characters so much. Obviously, Amira is our like main protagonist, and we see through we see a lot through her eyes. And um, I wondered why did you set it in two thousand and fifteen? Because I love that you did. In, it's pre-election in America, mm-hmm. isn't it? And there's lots of like references to like the Hillary campaign, and and I just wondered that was obviously for a reason, or yes, absolutely for a few reasons. Uh... The the president that we currently have is a very two-dimensional villain. Mm-hmm. Um, he is homophobic, racist, mean, says mean things. And that's very harmful because it actually hurts people's lives on a huge level. But I also think it's harmful because people who see themselves as very progressive get to say, oh, well, I'm not like this person, and so I must be fine. Mm. I must not have these biases because I would never do these things that this person does. And I don't think that's how humans operate. I think that you can be a really charming, loving person and also carry all these biases with you every day. And so I wanted to explore that pre-election with Alex and other people like her friends, like um, certain people that Amira is friends with as well, and just really look at how people can exist with these dualities. I do think that there were things with Hillary Clinton's campaign as well that said, oh, like, we we are the anti-villain, but there were complications there as well. Mm -hmm. And so I really wanted to, I wanted Alex to symbolize a lot of those things. And would it be fair to say that she symbolizes, like, white corporate feminism? That's an interesting question. I don't know. Because the funny thing is, 
I know a lot of Alex's and I do a lot of Alex-isms. I think Alex, I guess I would say she represents a lot of good intentions. Alex kind of forgets that to empower other people, you have to lose power a lot of the time. Um, She's like the equivalent of, oh my gosh, I really love these people. How do I help them? Maybe we'll like paint a mural on their school and it's fun for an hour, but it has no lasting effects. And so do I think she's a bad person for not having that foresight? No, but I think that bad things can happen when your foresight is so is so short. So mm. it's And funny. she puts herself yeah. in the center of things a lot. Yes. Yes, exactly. It was it's very funny having people read the book though, because some of them come away saying, Oh my gosh, Alex, like she's crazy. And I'm like, she's not that crazy. <laughs> I know a lot of Alexes who I know and love. Um I know and and actually because you've written the character, I can imagine you you have like a deep connection to her. And I'm sure you never you weren't out to write someone who was good or bad like they're all nuanced and that's what makes an amazing character but I think reading certain things I was like that reminds me of Goop <laughs> mm, yes 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 totally oh Alex would love Goop I feel yeah, you know yeah like she'd love Goop yes yeah. exactly like but I love Goop sometimes but then too. I yeah. listened to Gwyneth Paltrow on a podcast the other day and I was like I kind of love Goop mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there's that's how that's how life is people yeah. have these have these differences I think that the difference here is that Alex, this is a point in her life and her little life capture that she is really pushed with all of her insecurities. And so all of her bad things really come out in these pages. So yeah. that probably shapes her a lot for people. Yeah. And back to the, the 2015 kind of year and, and what that represents, because obviously the book touches on racism and microaggressions and Amira really being squashed into a corner in many ways. and. Mm-hmm. You're like, this is so not cool that you're being made to feel like this. But she is dealing with all this stuff at apparently a time where things were quite good, like before mm-hmm. Trump. Mm-hmm. And so it made me think, oh, my God, like things are kind of worse now. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. definitely another reason why I wanted to do it pre-Trump. It's very easy to say, oh, well, with Trump in office, all these things are happening. But there were a lot of people suffering before this. I wanted to write a novel that featured characters who really, really love somebody but love them the wrong way and do a practice of individualism of saying, oh, well, if only Amira went to graduate school or if she applied herself a little bit more or if she had an interest when really it's the systems around her that are extremely broken. And I wanted to have characters not focus on those things and see what that looks like to experience all of those things. That's so interesting because we are such in a culture of that, aren't we? Of the yes. like, think positively and you can get yes. yourself out of this. Totally. I think I saw um, the other day, what was it? It was a perfect example. It was, okay, so I'm, I, my husband and I are in a place of privilege. We bring our own bags to the store. We bring canvas bags. We don't try to use plastic as much. We try not to use plastic as much as we can. But there was some... A brigade to make plastic bags look embarrassing to carry. Um, and I thought that is a perfect example of putting all of the responsibility on the individual rather than saying, hey, this business shouldn't offer plastic bags. These things should be made illegal by the government. We shouldn't put it on one person to save the planet. Yeah. And so Amira here is the plastic bag, I think. And everyone's yeah. offering these little individual things when, you know, her life would be different if she had health insurance. Absolutely. I remember reading on Vogue, actually, of all places, there was a breakdown of a, it was a single mother trying to to have a week being totally sustainable and like go needing to go to Whole Foods, for example, to get a, a certain piece of um, 
um, like not plastic containers mm-hmm. for the fruit or whatever. And she she costed it up. It was a lot of money. I can't imagine. Yeah. I mean, it is an expensive, it's expensive thing to be an adult and all these things that we don't realize that we... I'm a super privileged person. and I know there's so many things that I don't realize as well. And another thing I wanted to accomplish here was people who are, I'm doing finger quotes in the <laughs> middle a little bit. In college, I learned a lot that, you know, rich people don't think they're rich and poor people don't think they're poor. Amira considers herself broke because she has an apartment and she's doing okay. This is a place where she still faces so many struggles, even in her position of being a college-educated woman Mm. in her 20s. And so I really wanted to dig into those sticky in-between places. Yeah. The parts of the book that made me feel like a lot of things were when she would blame herself. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of self-blame in the book with her. And I know that the ending, I won't say anything, but, you know, you feel very fulfilled by the end. But she blames herself for not having a real job. And she even blames herself for the the incident of racism in the Market Depot scene. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or it, I mean, am I exaggerating? No, or that's, did you that's feel totally like, correct. Yeah. yeah, Amira blames herself. I think Amira blames herself for those scenes because she's overlooking the privileges that people around her have. Her friends, one, I realized way too late into my 20s that it's a privilege to know what you want to do. That does not come easy for everyone. And, you know, in the States when you're 18, 19, it's, hey, you should go to college and pick what you want to do. And that's the thing that you think you should be doing for the rest of your life. And when I was 19, I had no idea. That's why I changed my entire career. But it it was easier for me because I had the support. And so instead of saying, man, that guy was really racist and that was a terrible situation that I was in, she says, oh, well, I wish I could be like this person or I should know what I should do. And really, you know, her friend Shawnee, her dad helped helped her get an internship and her friend Josefa, her parents pay for her to go to college. And Zara has always known what she wants to do. But those things don't seem to outweigh Amira's deficiencies or how she sees them as deficiencies. Yeah, and that's what made her so real and relatable because we're not just born out of the womb with confidence. (laughs) And I think... That can be really stifling and make you feel really bad if you are constantly s- surrounded by people that just know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. think there's a lot of Amiras out there. Oh, yeah. A lot. Oh, yeah. It's knowing what you want to do. I feel like I was so fortunate to know that when I was 23, even though I was still babysitting and I didn't have health insurance as well and really struggling. But I, I had a goal um, and I wanted to create kind of like the perfect aimless B student in Amira and show how difficult her life can be. Mm. Was there any specific inspiration behind any of the characters, or or were they all just totally made up with you looking at your screen? Or were you, like, I know that's probably a really cliche question, but are they made up of anyone you know? So I was a nanny and a babysitter for six years in Manhattan, so I definitely couldn't help but be inspired by all of the relationships I've witnessed all around me. These are all totally made-up characters, but, I mean, I did know a child who was obsessed with um, smelling tea bags. That was her <laughs> thing. So I definitely took little tiny parts out of children to create Briar mm. here. Briar, I'm going to say, is very, like, popular with early reviewers. She is, They're yes. like, people are obsessed with, like, that adorable character. People are very into Briar, which makes me really happy because she was definitely inspired by... Me learning how serious three-year-olds can be. I had no idea, like, in such, like, little adults and still very fun, but very serious about their fun. And so I wanted a very serious child. (laughs) 
why did you want to explore also that age gap between Amira and Briar and how because it's such a it's such a beautiful relationship and seemingly we can sometimes dumb that down can't we and be like well it's just a kid mm-hmm. and um you know yeah you can like carry the kid around and, like find it really cute but they they have like a bond they have a thing for sure Amira really enjoys treating Briar like an adult and I think Briar really responds to that I think that she takes Briar seriously in a way that unfortunately a lot of people in her family don't. And I think that that just creates this solid bond between them where Briar feels like she can be herself. Amira also loves that Briar doesn't care, that she doesn't make a ton of money. I think that they have zero ego between mm-hmm. them. It like takes away like all the crap, like yeah. all the adult stuff. Yes, yes. And I also think it's so nice when you're in a job and you know what to do. I don't know how to explain it. I love having rituals to my day, and I think we all secretly do a little bit. And when Amira learns Briar's rituals, that's when she's set in motion, and that's when she's in a really good place. Yeah. Do you think there's anything, like, kind of under the surface that kind of does say, if you like a job and you enjoy it, of course it's a real job. Because that phrase is used quite a lot. Like, she's like, I don't have a real job. I'm like, this actually has all the um, tick boxes of a, of a real job. Absolutely. 100%. That's, I think childcare is, that's why I wanted to dig into it here. It's a funny thing because on one end, I think we all should be doing it more. I think it's so great to babysit when you're an, a child. It was my first jobs as well. And I think if we were all around children a little bit more, like a crying baby on a plane wouldn't be that big of a deal. Yeah. At the same time, when you're an adult and your job is childcare, one, you don't get paid very well, and two, the margin of error for you is so small. And in a typical job, you make a mistake. Oh, okay, I won't do that next time on that presentation, and it'll be fine. If you make a mistake with someone's child, it can cost you everything Mm -hmm. and follow you forever. So you have this very low-paying job for people who often, you know, don't know what they want to do and say, oh, well, I can do this because this is what 12-year-olds do as well. But it's so difficult the day-to-day of being a caretaker is so difficult and hard and Amira kills it she's a great Mm -hmm. babysitter yeah that's another area where she says oh this isn't a real job um I mean she's forced into such adult uh, situations all the time and and totally has like got it oh yeah did you babysit as a child I did but I mean I wasn't as responsible or intelligent as Amira like I would just eat all the food in the fridge and oh I did this just like thing. coast along yeah. and be like they're alive yeah. right. <laughs> right that's the basis we kept them alive so that's totally fine yeah but yeah. um but I remember those experiences like those experiences definitely added to my life mm-hmm. um because you're responsible for someone even for an hour but oh yeah it kind of sets you up a little bit for the future I mm-hmm. think I, I compare it a little bit to to dating and that when you date someone, you kind of date the entire family. And when you are with the child, you are involved with the entire family. Mm-hmm. And they become a part of your life, whether you like it or not. And there were families that I still keep in contact with today that I love so much. And I really did feel like I was with them. And there were some that it was a struggle mm-hmm. every single day. And I had to really tell myself everything you teach this child about how they can talk to you, how they can treat you and other kids in the playground, they can unlearn it very quickly when they're with their parents and that's what's happening. Yeah. I think it was such a such a genius way to really dive into the the racism privilege topic because you see these morons in the supermarket mm-hmm. judging her 
she's actually saved them, like the family. They needed her and for her to be treated like that is actually, yeah, it's horrible to read, actually. That was a rough scene to write as well. But I think that's where the the story came alive. I actually wrote maybe the first 50 pages of it and then gave it to a writer that I really trust and said, what do you think? And he said, I think you should start over because I had the characters who were concerned about Briar be a little bit more aggressive and mean in that two-dimensional way. And as soon as I made them more realistic and we just want to make sure everything is okay, who is she with, that was when the creepy insidiousness came out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that was the right path. It was more painful, but that's how those experiences are. Oh my God, 100% yeah. because they were, like we've we've seen that 100 times. Mm-hmm. I've experienced, you know, very tiny, well, I mean, I've experienced racism in my life that has scared me. I remember once I had people yell at me from a car and call me an alien, but I have to admit the times that I really think about were those little tiny moments where I was walking in a white neighborhood and someone said, excuse me, are you lost? Things like that. Those stick with you more. And I think that's just human nature. Mm-hmm. Um, when you think that you belong and you're realized, you realize really quickly that people think you don't belong. Did you feel that the novel was like the perfect vehicle, like this was the best way to get into these topics. Oh, totally. I, well, I'm obviously a little biased for fiction, but I think fiction kind of does what the think piece and essay can't do sometimes. Absolutely. Um, I just love being so enraptured with characters and following them and these stories um, slip by you the first time and then you think about it again. I think that's what good fiction does. But one thing I wanted to do with this is really hit home that if these experiences had happened to me, like me, myself, Kylie, it would be different because there's a class dynamic involved. And I have friends and family and a career that I can always fall back on. And I wanted to show what happens when you're a person who can't fall back on those things. Mm. And do you think if you were doing the book promotion, it might be more of an exhaustion, say you had written a memoir or something that Mm -hmm. was more rooted in you I can imagine when people have to talk about themselves and their experiences in front of a crowd and you never know who turns up and asks weird questions it's almost like there's a barrier there which is um, it must be kind of good in a way oh I love the barrier yes I know a lot of a lot of my friends who are writers definitely write from an autobiographical perspective I do not for the most part and I I like that barrier yeah I can imagine someone reading that and then like in general I think people do it with women they think oh you've written a protagonist Mm -hmm. must be you exactly exactly no yeah yeah. exactly it's totally such a common writer thing to have an experience and then say oh I'm going to write about someone else who has that same experience because I feel like I know that world so I definitely feel like the world is genuine to what I experience but I am not Amira she's way way cooler than I am (laughs) she is amazing but with the book coming out and the conversations it might um, stir up or do you are you going to like engage with do you want to know what people are saying about it or are you quite like a writer who's like done my bit and I'm going to go over here now and just work on something else it it honestly depends (laughs) on the week some weeks some days I'm like I do not want to know I just want to write something new Um, but sometimes it's really fun to see what people took away good or bad Um, I used to teach undergraduate classes creative writing classes at the University of Iowa and a lot of my students 
struggled so much to have opinions on art. They felt like they didn't have a place for it. And so from the first class of me saying, did you like this? Did you not like it? And them struggling to the end where they're like, I hated this. Or I really (laughs) like, I think that's a win. So yeah, yeah. that's so interesting. Yeah. Does that, do you think that comes from a place of feeling like, you haven't quite got a voice yet or you've or no one's told you you're allowed to have an opinion or I think it was you know if you're not an I think it was this belief of well I'm not an artist so I can't judge art and I think that's wrong um I think that we learn so much from art and it definitely it's so cliche but it definitely reflects life and you can do so much with it and so I hope that that stays for when the publication comes out. Yeah, yeah, it is funny how everyone is a critic now, like anyone with a Twitter account. Oh, yeah. I was actually talking to someone the other day about. Um, so we, so she changed my mind on this, but I said I would never ever be really cr- like critical or or like pull apart a novel because I just think someone sat down and wrote it and the the fact that they have created something is like so amazing so why would you like shit all over it basically that's so kind and (laughs) and she was like no if you're a reader you're allowed any opinion you want on any art and I was like oh yeah (laughs) I have to say I'm on her side Yeah, no exactly I I don't know why I was being so like the art like it exists so therefore we should appreciate it okay I'm half on yours and half on hers this is my hot take on this um I think that if you are privileged enough to have a work published in in the world, people are going to say mean things about it sometimes. And the truth is, if you don't want to hear those things, you don't have to go on Twitter. You don't have to go on Instagram and you can say no to those things. That being said, I feel like I'm as a writer, I would never go on and trash anyone's novel online. I would just never do that because I know how that feels. Knowing how hard it is yes, as well. And like yes. you, the drafts that you've done, yes. the pain that it is. Oh, yes, exactly. Especially, well, I mean, if it was like, I think that you paint a really problematic picture of this. Okay, yeah, maybe I would say that. But when people, you know, talk about typos or whatnot, I'm like, mm. there are so many people involved in this and it passed one little mistake. You got to just chill out. Yeah, let that one go. Yeah. yeah. I draw the line though at people tagging authors in tweets I or mean, on Instagram. I'm like, people are monsters, unless it's nice. Yes, yes. I don't understand. I haven't had that happen to me yet. I'm sure it will. <laughs> I, that yeah. was me. It's happened to me a lot. Oh, so. you're kidding. Yeah. It, it's just like, oh, why have you like... I read my tweets. <laughs> right. So how do you handle it? I have to get some advice um, here. No, I just ignore it. I used to be quite petty. Like, that's, right. that's really mean. But um, Such yeah. a strange thing that you can just go on the internet and just say whatever you want. To t- I have a friend whose book just came out and she gets emails sometimes saying, like, why did you use so many swear words? She's like, you don't have to read this book. So, yeah. Well, anyway, your book already has had such a brilliant reception. and Thank um, you. It really is just... I don't know. Like you read, I read it, and I was just—I just felt like I needed to read this book. It kind of has just popped up, and and I think everyone was kind of like desperate for like this sort of book. Mm-hmm. So, it makes me happy. Yeah, um, I love books that are a little bit awkward, weird, and or I love books that are a little bit awkward, real, and so I'm so glad that people have latched on to that as well. Which is another reason that sometimes I read reviews and sometimes I don't because. They'll often say the same thing, but have a completely different opinion of, I love this book. It was so cringy or I hated this. It made me cringe. And so yeah. I'm okay with those reviews. That's totally. what I wanted. Yeah. I know. I remember someone saying, if you're not going to believe the bad ones, you can't really believe the really good ones. You have to basically be in the middle or something. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I don't know. I want to believe the good ones. <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> yeah. Some of the good ones, I'm like, I'll believe that one. That's fine. Yeah. 
What are you excited about kind of over the next few months with the lead up of you? It's really nice to step away from a work and see what it becomes without you. I'm really excited to keep working with the producers who have optioned. The film options are really Oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah. So I'm working with them, and they're wonderful, and it's challenging. And it's like a medium of writing that I'm learning about for the first time. It's like a new language. But I'm also just excited to think about what's next, another novel someday. So, yeah. It's incredibly cinematic, the book. And actually, of course, you know, it's going to be on TV. Like, because the opening, we get the drama, like, immediately in the book we're in mm-hmm. and it that did remind me of like when you're watching Netflix and you're like oh damn it I'm hooked right 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 I love those hooked moments yeah I need a chapter in the beginning that really gets me into something um and then I'll I have about 50 pages to chill out a little bit so hopefully yeah. that reads on screen the same way yeah it was really well done thank you so how how just quickly how did that um come about because I know that you it's Lena yeah, Lena Waithe Lena has optioned Waith, the, the film rights. Yeah, incredible she, as well. Yeah, she's incredible and, and so smart and and savvy. And I think maybe four days after we sold the book, there was interest, and she was just such an easy yes. And so I love her and her team, wow. and I'm excited to see what we do with it. Yeah, yeah, how exciting. Yeah. Well, as I said, this podcast is coming out around the time the book is coming out. So huge congratulations. Thank you And I'm so really much. excited for you. And I think next year is just going to be wild and exciting. If you see me, just give me a pat on the back. <laughs> we have a long tour schedule, but I'm very excited. Yes, yes. I know. I hope our paths cross again next year. I do too. Yeah, yeah. this has been lovely. Thank, Thank you. you.